Wonderful. It's good to meet with God. It's good to meet with each other. It's, it's amazing when the body of Christ comes together, the blessing that comes with that. A weird one. Does anyone have any issues with their right hand, middle finger? I'm not going to show you. Yes? Okay. So, Lord, we just, uh, just lift your hand up. Thank you, Father. We just speak healing on that hand, at that finger. We just pray restoration now in the name of Jesus. We thank you that you are all sufficient. It is finished. You are seated. So we just declare restoration now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There is power in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's interesting when Paul is, in a sense, threatening Corinth in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. He says, um, I'm not going to test, as it were, what you, what you believe. I'm going to test your power. I'm going to say what you guys walk in. And uh, we're meant to be a people that walk in power. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Well, we are moving into chapter 5 of Ephesians. All God's people said, finally. Okay. Amen. I know, Lee. I hear you. <laughs> Um, but I just want to set the table a bit just before we get into it and just, uh, just pray here. We just come to your word now, Father. We honor it. We revere it. If our thoughts are not in alignment with your thoughts, we ask for alignment. We ask that you would lead us to repentance. Lead us in the changing of mindsets. Lord, you know how long we've walked with these mindsets that and we've also sanctified them and, and, as it were, ordained them in our lives, Lord. But if they contradict your word, we ask that you would lead us in the gentle way that you do. So we just ask, speak now. One man waters, not our sows, but it's you that causes growth. So I just pray for growth today in Jesus' name. Now, there are many through, themes throughout the New Testament that tie all of the books together as an incredible course of God's grace. It's like a wonderful orchestra when you look at the New Testament, all singing and all playing a part in various themes. But the one theme that stands above them all and permeates them all and saturates them all is that of love. Love. And you can see this in Ephesians. And just to highlight what Paul, just a couple of the scriptures that he speaks on that we have been through, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. That'll preach. With all the humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. But speaking the truth in love, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You want patience. You can see there, if you want patience, get love. It's like love is the key. God is love. What is the greatest commandment, Jesus was asked by the Pharisees? To love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when I read these verses and I look through Ephesians, I don't think the love that Paul is talking about here can be fallen into. 
Have you heard that term, you fall in love? It's like you tripped and fell. It's like, I'm in love. What happened? I think it goes well beyond emotions or the proclivity you have towards one person or another. I even saw a definition that said that love is love. And I thought, are you allowed to, in the definition of a word, use that word in its definition? Like, it's like a dog is a dog. Well, I'm no further ahead here. I need a bit more understanding. See, I think we miss the core of what Paul is speaking of in Ephesians if we look to our culture to help us understand this definition of love. I would venture to say that much of the culture's love is selfish, self-fulfilling, emotional, lustful, fleeting. And when you see how it permeates and saturates the New Testament, it's no surprise to me that the word is used ubiquitously throughout the culture. It almost dilutes it. So when you see love, you're like, oh, that's what it means. Love stories, you watch. Romance, all of these things are what we have ideas around. But when I read the scripture, it seems to have much more depth to that. And it's not my desire to even try and define love, but it is desire to try and broaden it. Now, in light of this, I think we need to consider Ephesians and even the Bible itself more as a legal document. And inside this legal document, the terms that are used are defined within the document itself. Does that make sense? In other words, when Paul speaks of love, we can no longer use our preconditioned ideas, but must read closely and submit to his definitions to truly understand what he is communicating. And what, I, what, what, what it heartens me is that love becomes more of a verb than a noun. Let's look into it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So we see that Paul is starting chapter 5 very much like he's, he spoke in chapter 4, giving directives on how to live. How should we live? And he starts with this remarkable verse. And I have to tell you that I sat and stared at this verse for a couple days before I could get past it. Now, I'm used to Paul saying, follow me as I follow Christ. But when he turns to me and he says, hey, Nick, be an imitator of God. It's quite alarming. I'm forced to contemplate, to, to, to think and go, wow, that, that's quite a high calling to be an imitator of God. Imitate him in what way? What do you mean, Paul? Is there anything more specific? Yes, there is. In the way in which he loves it's one thing to say, I love you, but it's a whole other thing to show it. He gave himself up for us, sacrificial, selfless. This is one aspect of this diamond of love that has multiple revelations in it, but certainly sacrifice and selflessness is a key aspect to the love that is defined in this document, this letter. Can there be a greater command from Paul? 
Has anyone ever said to you, be more like such and such? <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, I would hear that. Why can't you be like such and such? But here Paul is, again, exhorting us to be like God, to imitate him. That's rather intimidating to me until you realize, wow, he is asking me to do something that I must have the ability to do. He has laid out before us in the first three chapters of this book. That is always in mind, and that is what he's building upon. He is speaking to multiple pagans, Artemis, the temple Artemis. Obviously, there'll be a mixture of Jews in there, but these people know nothing of love other than self-love in the sense of we'll get into it. And he's saying to them, be imitators of God himself. And that is calling them higher. And you will see this constantly with Paul. He is not leaving people in their state, but calling them to who they are in Christ. And there is a key in this that I believe opens up so much more of what the kingdom has for us. You read the Gospels and you'll see the sacrificial love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or actually four of them. Four, four books that speak of the same story. And in that you can see, and in that you begin to imitate. Because in order to imitate someone, you have to get to know them. You have to look at their nuances. You know, like actors, when they're acting Muhammad Ali, the guy who does Muhammad Ali, goes and watches tape, goes and understands what he likes and dislikes, goes and looks at his mannerisms. If you were to come up and imitate me, you'd probably go like this. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Loud, boisterous. So there's an intimacy in order to imitate. An understanding, a looking at. There's much in the scripture to show us what love looks like. How love is walked out. And Christ is the standard and the calling. And it's not just to be in love, but to walk in love. And I've heard this many times in, in my walk in leadership over 20 years. People who say they love God, but they have a really weird way of showing it. My daughter's wayward. She's off in the world. She's, but she loves the Lord. I go, man, she's got a really weird way of showing love. I'm sure God does not love me that way. And you say, that's harsh, Nick. No, it's just biblical. The challenge is not that God loves her. The challenge is that she does not love God. And this is the issue. It's all about love. To walk in it. Not just emotions, but actions. Emotions are great. And there are times in worship that you have these, not all the time for me, but, but there are times. But ultimately, love is seen in the way I live my life. And that love me, keep my commandments. Let's move on. I don't know if that looks really weird on the big screen, eh? Yeah, I thought so. Sorry. It's so hard. <laughs> it's a big head. But sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not be even be mentioned among you as is proper amongst the saints. And there be no filthiness or foolish talk or vulgar joking which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. That was a quick turn. First two verses, and then boom. Paul gets deep quickly into it. 
And it's a familiar passage, because didn't we just cover this, Paul? Like, not just long ago, he said, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but such as edifying. He, we just did that, I think, two weeks ago. But here he is hitting it again, the way we speak, you know? The idea, like, do you kiss your mama with that mouth? You remember sewer mouth? Like, defiling all around you. And we went into that last week, but Paul brings it up here again, that you shouldn't even speak of such things. Coarse jesting. And I know with men it can be particularly bad in the, I don't know what you call it, the, the, the uh, locker room, locker room talk. I never was in a locker room, but I know they're a locker room talk. Um, and, and things like that. And it's, it's considered just funny. But Paul is, Paul is challenging that and challenging the way we speak in this. For this, you know with certainty. You could build upon this, is what Paul's about to say. This is unwavering. Know this with certainty, that no sexually immoral or impure or greedy person which amounts to an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Hmm. Now it's clear that Paul is highlighting the effects of these particular sins on the Christian's life. That effect being, it will rob you of inheritance. It will hinder you. Remember Hebrews chapter 12? That the sin that so easily ensnares, throwing off that sin. This particular sin, sexual immorality and impurity, and covetousness, greediness. Is there something particular why he's highlighting this? How many of us, with gaining short-term pleasure, forfeit that which is eternal? That which is undefiled will not fade away for short-term gratification. Do you notice how these are in complete juxtaposition to the first two verses of selfless love? This is all about selfishness, self-fulfilling, hedonism, me, self, lust, cravings, base, and he highlights them. Sexual immorality, impurity. Man, isn't our lives both in reality and on social media just saturated with sexual immorality and impurity? I mean, you can open your phone and go on the internet and look at pornography. So It's almost like the airwaves are saturated with it. It's a strange thing, but we're saturated with it. It's everywhere. What would can be considered pornography in the 50s is now standing on your newsroom or your, your checkout stand. And how many of us in the room today dabble with it? You know, just a little. This should not be Paul speaking on. Movies. Books. Entertainment straight from the den of Satan himself. And then we as Christians partake and entertain, and yet on Sundays, can you, no, you're not allowed in here. I'll meet, you, I'll meet you on Tuesday. I mean, Satan's kind of confused. On one hand, you're pushing away, on the other hand, you're bringing them in. I mean, what is it? God is calling us to renounce this clearly in this scripture today. 
to renounce, to confess our sins, to turn from it, to declare our allegiance to the kingdom, to bring that which is hidden out into the light, to realize you're You can't play poker with God. He sees your hand. All things are naked and laid bare before whom we must give an account. Do not think you are so special that this does not pertain directly to you. You cannot play with this stuff. And Paul highlights it here in Corinthians. He gives us a bit of insight. Do you not know that your bodies are a part of Christ? Shall I then take away the parts of Christ and make them parts of a prostitute? Far from it. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But sexual immoral sins against his own body, but sexually immoral person sins against his own body? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price? You're like, Nick, I ain't, I ain't never got no prostitute. I don't know what you're talking about. There's been... If you look on a woman or a man in lust, it is adultery. Or ad- adultery. This is very serious. This defrauds you. When you get before him in 1 Corinthians 3, the Bema seat, and you stand before him, and all that you thought you did to make up for this sin, because you know you've got to try and make up, you're under law. It's, un, it, it, it's nullifying what, you, what God wants to do in your life and the plans and purposes. the second half here, that no sexually immoral or impure or greedy person, which amounts to an idolater, has an inheritance of the kingdom. Greedy. i got to be honest, this one hits closer to home for me. I'm telling you. Covetous, which is idolatry. Now, you got to think of Paul's time and era, Paul's writing into, right? It's the same as like, he's like, huh, it's the same as this stuff. Idolatry. You'd say, Nick, I never bowed out to that stuff. Come on. Well, you might have the one in the middle. I've seen that around in West Van. I'd get rid of it. It's a Buddha. What's, what, is it, what is he saying here? That, that like idols, you'll give time, energy, money to that which you worship. Forfeiting the kingdom first. You will not seek kingdom first. Because you give time, money, energy essentially life, to that which you worship. And that's why greediness and covetousness is more like this. Paul says this in Colossians 3. So put to death the sin, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. And you notice I made a very North Van, West Van-esque with the Tacoma. It's not a Lamborghini. Now, we have need of these things. This is where I find it interesting. But it can tip over because it's in the air. The marketing is all directed at you to be completely dissatisfied with the way you look, 
with what you drive, with what you live in. It's saturated. It's everywhere. Do not be content. Do not be happy with how you look. Do not be happy with how you drive. And Paul is standing in juxtaposition to this and saying, this is robbing you of your inheritance. This is standing in the way. But you must be strong because it's everywhere. And this is why you, if you're a slave to this and if you're in this and you have greediness, even food, overeating. I'm sorry, I hate to say it. I mean, I grew up in a church where they didn't drink wine and people that drank wine were, you know, those type of Christians and that guy's smoking over there. But boy, they'd chow down when it was time to eat. But what's the difference? Romans 6 says you're a slave to whatever you offer your body. The Bible is so tight. You can go to any one of Paul's writings and it all just fits beautifully. You're a slave to whatever you're off your body. That's why it's off your body to God. Paul, Paul addresses this greediness in a few places. Not that I speak from need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in. I know how to get along with little, I also know how to live in it. In, sorry, I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's, a, there's, there's some really good stuff in that scripture. He had to learn it, number one. I, I've learned, I've learned to be content. I had to learn this. But it's interesting because he said the things that I pursued in, in my discontentment, I learned that Christ was my all in all. If you see the last scripture, I can do all things to Christ. Nick, you need this, this, this. I need Christ. First and foremost, let him add, as Matthew chapter 6 says, those who seek first the kingdom, these things will be added. The Lord is our provider. He reiterates this. Yet true godliness and contentment is a great wealth. Godliness with contentment is great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. And we can't take anything with us when we leave it. The pharaohs taught us that as their graves got pilfered with all the gold. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people long to be rich fall into temptation, amen, and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires and plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I personally have wasted thousands. My poor wife, when I was young, uh, young marriage, going after get-rich schemes. I have fallen prey to this. And yes, I'll use Scripture somehow to justify, but I know my heart and heart, I am not content. And I feel the conviction. Sometimes I'm on Craigslist looking at this. It's kind of interesting. What if they got any cabins? You know? it's like, yeah. Why am I looking at that? Has God called you here? 
Yeah, you got to figure that out. Okay, he hasn't called. Then, then be content. He will provide for you. Paul is telling us, and it's not like he's a guy that's just come in like Preflo Dollar at this $60 million jet and going, just be content as his gold rings. Paul walks in, a man with multiple scars beaten and so on, and says, I have learned contentment. This man can speak. It ain't just a, a, a belief. This man lives it. And he has come from the side where most of us want to walk. Who doesn't want to see what Paul saw in some level? Then you have to at least investigate how Paul lived and the mindset that he had to walk it out. And you say, Nick, you don't understand. There's, you don't understand the culture we live in. The culture we live in is very similar to Ephesus. Pagans. Mixture. Dumbing down the gospel. Robbing God's people. Constant noise in the ears as you go out into the marketplace to look at something other than Christ and be content with something other than him and look to add something to what he's done. When he's seated, he's finished. It's done. And it all starts now with the renewing of the mind. But the issue is the heart and the affections of the heart and what we love. And when what we love starts to migrate into a covetousness and adultery, so we wane in our love for him. And we get to pursue the things of the world. And I see this many times in North America, where they take like the American dream, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and they baptize it into Christianity. And it comes out this new, now that Christ died, so that everyone can be rich and wealthy and so on. And you don't find it in the book. And I consider myself quite wealthy. I live in Vancouver. I live in West Vancouver. But does your stuff own you or do you own your stuff? We don't worship poverty. I thank God for wealth. God wants to use the wealth. Don't waste your wealth on yourself. The blessing to Abraham was, Abraham, I will bless you. And he blessed Abraham, but I will bless the world through you. All that money ain't for you, just for you. You know that, right? It's meant to flow through you. Your gifting is meant to flow through you. Your time is meant to flow through you. Finances flow through you. If you stop it, it starts to dam up like the Dead Sea. And so Paul goes on and he says, see that no one deceived you with empty words. Blah, 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 blah. Coochie, coochie, coo. God loves you. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God? When's the last time we heard a sermon on that? The great and terrible day of the Lord? It's interesting. No one deceives you. It means cheats. No one cheats you. Isn't that interesting? They cheat you. They rob you. They make a deal with you. With empty words, devoid of truth, vain words. And you probably get tired of me bringing this one up, but until you know it as well, this is what's going on. I solemnly exhort you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance in his kingdom, Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in the accordance with their own desires, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, use self-restraint in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. It's interesting, and I, I don't think any of us really like to be corrected, rebuked, and <laughs> exhorted. 
Well, I guess we like exhortation, but the, the, the rebuke and the correction is a little bit challenging. But if you're truly a parent who loves your child, you will correct them. People say love is giving your kids everything. That's not love. You don't love like God loves them. I don't believe in discipline with kids. I give them whatever they want. God does not do that. Mom used to always say, God has no spoiled children. You can tantrum all you want. He does not move him. God corrects his children. He brings us into alignment. And sometimes, yes, it's painful for a while. But in it, we start to grow and challenge so that we might look forward to an inheritance. That we might love like Christ loves. That we might walk in it. So the burden of the requirements of what we're called to do in Christ is not out of our own flesh, but out of a revelation of love. Because then it becomes easier. Is it hard to care for your children? No, why? Because we love them. It was much harder for me to care for people from the streets that live with us because I I was challenged in love for them. Love makes it much easier. It makes it simple. Do not become partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you're in light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Thank you, Lord. As you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not become partners with them. Now, Paul even takes this further. You may not be aware of the scripture. He's talking to the church. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not at all mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the greedy and swindlers or with idolaters. Or then you would have to leave the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is a sexually immoral person or a greedy person or an idolater or is verbally abusive or a habitual drunk or a swindler, not to eat with such a person. Doesn't sound very Christian, does he? For what business is mine to judge the outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church, but those who are outside God judges? Remove the evil person from among yourselves. It's interesting because we kind of flipped it. (laughs) We judge the world, and we don't want anything to do with it, and all your friends are Christians, and everything you go to is Christian, and Christian, Christian, Christian. Where Paul is flipping it. And the reason, you have to see, the reason he's so adamant and clear about this is because it robs you. And the people will pollute you. And I have found that people who are really stubborn and obstinate concerning these things are very evangelical about them. It's called greasy grace or hyper grace. Or, I've seen it. And they don't shut their mouths. They make it plain that they got the credit card of Jesus and they can rack it up and he'll pay it off no matter what they do. You can't find it in Scripture. And they pollute, and the leaven leavens up. And this is what we see going on in the church today. They were applauding this guy, this kid that was sleeping with his stepmother. I don't know why they were applauding it. It says that, but maybe they thought the grace of God just allows us just to do whatever. And Paul just rebukes them for this. They actually celebrated it. He says, get that person out. And I have seen this in churches. I have seen this 
where sins like this are not addressed and it begins to be a spiral downward. And we see that in multiple churches today. Multiple churches that will appease you in your sin. That God loves you just the way you are. God does not love you the way you are. Or why would he be trying to sanctify you and change you into the image of his son? It's no matter where you are, God loves you. There's no doubt. God is love. But God is committed to your transformation. The mind being transformed. He sees what you look at. He hears what you hear. Do not think he winks one iota at it. Peter says this, another amazing statement. Be holy as your father, heavenly father is holy. Calling to the stature of God. Be set apart. Come out of Egypt. And it seems it's easy to get people out of Egypt. It's hard to get Egypt out of people. The lusts, the appetites, the desires. Only if we can have the leaks. Just one leak, Lord. One, one little, little white lie. One little white sin. It's defrauding you. It's robbing you. Our inheritance. No matter how hard you try to work to, to make up for these sins, it's still robbing you. Just going to land on this. Learn what is pleasing to the Lord. It just doesn't come with intuition. You must learn it. You must read it. There are six things the Lord hates you. Seven, a lying tongue. Feet that are swift to run to shed blood. It goes on. There's, there's so much in the scripture about what God likes and dislikes. What God is like. Nick, you can never know what's in the book. There's lots to know. People seem to get very much caught up with what you can't know. In conspiracies and eschatologies, I'm like, okay, let's, what can we know? I love this scripture. Just in closing here. Because it gives us insight. Now may the God of peace, mm, we need peace, Lord, who brought, up, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, that is Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to, to whom the glory forever and ever. Amen. Who equips us? He does. Who works in us? He does. Okay, so is it him or me? It's both. It's co-laboring. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You, so you work it out, but it's he that worketh in you. It's a working with him that we accomplish these things, that we find what is pleasing to the Lord. And oh, is that not the ache of the heart of this church? Lord, what is pleasing to you? Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. We ask for your leading, Holy Spirit. We just ask for your growth, your movement on what you are on. I just pray for everyone here that is in
partaking of sexual immorality and impurity. I pray for all of us that if there's any area of our life, Lord, that we are unaware of that we are partaking in, I pray for all of us, Lord God, that are under the sway of greediness, under the influence of covetousness, under the influence of, and not content. Lord, we long for godliness and contentment. We just lift our lives to you. We ask that you would lead us, Lord. Lead us to repentance. It's your goodness, Lord. We don't want to forfeit that which is eternal. We don't want to to sell our birthright for a bowl of soup. We don't want to just be so short-sighted. Lord, I pray that you break every chain. We are slaves to whatever we offer our bodies to, Lord. I just pray, break chains. Lead to repentance today, Lord. Move upon people's hearts. Those that are in prisons, that the light of God shine in. Even the most obstinate heart in this room, Lord. I just pray breaking and cracking. We call for life, Lord. We don't want to play games, Lord. Your word is truth and it's been made plain here. Paul has spoken it plainly and we thank you for it. But we just pray for the courage, the, the wisdom, the, the direction and how to move forward without all this junk that we've built into our lives. I pray for those who are sleeping with their girlfriends or sleeping with their boyfriends that you would help them, Lord. How do they do get out of this? How do they correct this? Those who are living with people that aren't their, their spouse, Lord, I just pray, God, just a release, Lord, that you don't, can't play games with God. You can go out for another five years. You're just going to come back to this very spot. Character is a big deal to God. It is for freedom. Lord, if you could set the, those Artemis, those, those, those people that worship Artemis in Ephesians, Lord, those, the most vilest things that they did, the most heinous sexual activities, and you set them free. Lord, I pray for that. I pray for courage that you might be a slave for years, but he can set you free. Set free, Lord, lust pornography. May they see each heart see it as you see it. The vileness that God is calling you out. He's calling you out. Lord, just come. Minister, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just allow the Holy Spirit to work. We're just going to sing a worship song. And then I'm going to call those who the Lord's touching and want prayer and freedom and healing and deliverance to come forward. So just prepare your heart for action. Gird your mind for action. Thank you, Lord.